0: Good afternoon, everyone. You are listening to the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow, and I am joined by my very good friend, Mr. Andre Grayson. Hello.
1: Hello, Mr. Dow. Looking forward to this. Yes, so this is a project that has been,
0: in my head, a very long time coming, because I I believe that me and Andre have conversations (laughs) all the time that I think would be quite nice to have a record of, for a start, Um, So I've always said that I wanted to do something like this, and Andre is probably the only person that I feel I can talk to uh, about football to the level that I think is required.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no pressure, no pressure, thank you. So
0: first of all, we are going to do an intro to uh, our podcast with a little game that me and Andre have played many times over the years. And all we're going to do is we are going to read each other a piece of commentary, which the other one then has to guess what goal it is for. Now, the only rules for this game are that you are not allowed to give any sort of context and you're not allowed to read it even remotely, um, emotively. So it just has to be read the sentence or sentences and go
1: from there. <laughs> yeah, do, we didn't discuss these. I mean, do you want to go first?
0: I'll go. I'll go first. Yes. OK, so I, I got, I've got a theme, This might be one that I've done for you. I'm not sure if you got it or not. So this will be a good test, actually. It was a Bouet-Henri with a minute to go.
1: That can only be when we beat Man United 2-1. Correct.
0: I'm very, very pleased that you oh. got
1: that. <laughs> what, what, what a win that was, by the way. The example you're looking for, I can picture a Bue, a rare Henri header. Um, pretty sure we lost Van Persie in that game after he scored, breaking his foot, which probably cost us, no doubt, some positions in the league.
0: And it was an unbelievable cross. And I remember very, very vividly, I was in the North Bank uh, lower watching that game. And it was uh, the first time, I think on said in the interview, it was the first time that the Emirates felt almost like home. Mm. Um, up until that point, we really, really struggled to to get into uh, any sort of groove or rhythm. And once that, that victory occurred, then all of a sudden it just felt like a lot better place to be. Mm. Um, and not least, obviously, that was still when our rivalry with Manchester United was still fairly high. So they were very close to becoming the first team to beat us at the Emirates. And I remember that really, really upsetting me, the thought of.
1: Yes, I agree. I agree. I mean, and it would be Rooney. I can picture that diving header. I think I've seen that on Premier League years more time than I care to think about. It was just one of those great days where we proved we could still mix it with the best of them amongst uh, a lot of insipid performances that year, if I recall.
0: Yes, but we did do the double over Man United that year.
1: Oh, I mean, that you can't talk about that without talking about Fabregas' pass for Adebayor at Old Trafford. Right, OK, I'm going to move on. Are you ready? I'm ready, yeah. Cleb pulls it back to Fabregas, deflected and in. Arsenal have the lead. <laughs>
0: I believe that is bolting away <laughs> to make it 3-2 in oh seven
1: oh is correct. Uh, it finished, I actually had a second part of that clue for you, which was, it's the king of all comebacks in the Premier League this season. I,
0: I would have definitely got it from that bit. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember that vividly because I was playing a reserve game for Ramsgate at the time, and my dad's my dad decided to tell me at the end of the game, step by step, what happened in the match. So he then told me, mm-hmm. Abu the RB being sent off, he told me the two goals scored by, was it Matt Taylor? Yes. Told me about that. And then he was like, second half to the minute, told me when we've made it 2-1. And I believe it was Galas who scored. Mm-hmm. And then he went, penalty, Robin Van Persie, 2-2. And then finally... He said, "Fàbregas got the winner," which we now know there's no way in a million years he could be credited with that goal. <laughs> did he get it? Just... I don't think he did because it took three deflections. On his way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, when I was listening to the commentary in preparation for this, it says that night it hits that night, then Andy O'Brien, and then goes in. So I think know. J. Lloyd Samuel was in there as well. Probably. I think it took three. I mean, we we that was the luckiest goal we may have ever scored?
0: I mean, I believe as well, Gary Megson came on the pitch and it deflected in off. <laughs>
1: Uncle Gary. Um... <laughs> Uncle Gary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now we've uh, dealt with the small matter of Uncle Gary. Uh, we will now look at a bit, I suppose, a bit of a recap on what's happened this season. Obviously, Sunday saw the final game of the never-ending 2019-2020 Premier League campaign um, and that was emphasised not only by the pandemic but by just how poor a season it was for for Arsenal. Um, Andre, do you want to go first and talk about anything you'd like about this season?
1: Yeah, well I remember messaging you earlier in the week and saying there's one moment that stands out. If, if you take the cup out of it um, and you just think about the Premier League, the statistics are painful reading. 14 wins, 14 draws, 10 losses. Of those 14 wins, I think we deserve probably four of them. Um, and when your moment of the season is Martinelli, and what a moment that was, um, sprinting past Kante, who flops over, and I just remember that moment of expectation being next to their fans as well. That, for me was what everything football and particularly going away is about being next to their fans going absolutely mental spotting some Arsenal fans in the home end um it's pretty difficult to eclipse the fact that we drew that game and that goal didn't really mean much and that's the moment that eclipses pretty much everything else is is terrible
0: <laughs> yeah I, I completely agree um just to sort of go over that moment again, um, obviously I, I was you right next to the uh, the, uh, the home fans and it was without question the highlight of the season and that is so, so depressing that that was the highlight of the season because as you say, we didn't win the game um, it felt like we the game having picked up a, a very late um, equaliser with Bellerin mm. but it's Still, is very very depressing that that was that was the high the high point of the year. Um, now, if we look back to the last time Arsenal had a season anywhere near this bad, I think it was ninety four ninety five, um, and that was when Arsenal finished twelfth um, in the Premier League and lost seventeen games that year. So, it, I suppose it's, it's it's not quite as bad as that because we finished eighth and we only lost ten games, um, but it doesn't make good reading. And I'll be honest, I am, although I'm optimistic with Mikel Arteta is our, our new manager, I am very, very concerned about the future because I think the pandemic and the effect that that's going to have on the football industry in terms of finances and the fact that Arsenal may or may not have any European football is going to have a massive, massive factor when it comes to what we can do and how we can recover the squad. Because mm. at the moment, The squad is so far away from being able to compete for those top European places, uh, let alone for the title.
1: Well, before we go on to to doom mongering, which we will do, and I'm looking forward to discussing that at great length. I was trying to picture some more positives. So let me take you back. I can tell you what I can picture. When we beat Burnley 2-1 at the Emirates, we'd just beat a Newcastle away uh, with a very efficient away performance, lovely Abamyang goal, Maitland-Niles storming up the right, and then I think about that uh, Burnley game where, where Lacazette turns on a sixpence, belts it in, uh, some sloppy defending, which uh, of course would, would uh, be a hallmark, as it has been for a number of years, but then Bamiang cutting in from the left. And scoring out of nothing. And I remember thinking we got a real team here, with Pepe on the right. Sabios that day looked like the second coming of Jesus. He was unbelievable. And I just remember and I was thinking about positives, because I was trying to remember when did I last feel good about going to the Emirates? And that was the last time I really remember being feeling really optimistic. Um
0: I, I think I, I would jump in with a couple of times that I felt optimistic of the Emirates this season. And ironically, they were, um, ob- obviously, everyone, anyone listening to this will not know that I, I sit in the East Stand Upper and Andre uh, sits in the West Stand Upper. But quite often at halftime, if there's a spare seat in the West Stand, I'll walk around and, and sit with Andre for the second half. And there were a couple of occasions this year where we did that. Uh, Newcastle at home, springs to mine, where we, we won 4-0. Mm. And that was very enjoyable for that second half because we both uh, told each other how much we disliked Newcastle. <laughs> um, so that was quite satisf- satisfying. Uh, but the one that I remember, and I remember just having a really nice evening and really enjoying it, was when we beat Nottingham Forest 5-0 in the in the League Cup. Because me and you both sat in the North Bank Upper for the second half as a change of scenery. Yep. And it was just a really encouraging night with young players We had Rob Holding scoring um, and being captain on one of his early returns from injury. Bellerin came on and got an assist within, I think, within a minute. And it felt like a really optimistic players and and future. So that was was an occasion where I genuinely enjoyed Mm. going to the Emirates. But far too often, going this year has felt like something I have to do rather than something I really want to do.
1: Yeah, I mean... Can you picture a game you last looked forward to? I mean, we may not. uh, The the irony of all of this is I can't wait to go to whatever the next game is already. (laughs) This
0: is the irony because all four of the home games that we've had since uh, lockdown has ended that we've not been able to attend. I'm pretty sure either me or you have texted each other to say, I wish I was there. I wish we were going. (laughs) So as much as I (laughs) have just said, I feel like I go because I have to. It's still something I want back and it's still something I'm very upset that I can't have on a weekly basis. Um, Both Andre and I go to an awful lot of away games as well. So it's pretty much impacted on our social life immeasurably.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, I I was thinking about Saturday and not being at Wembley. Whatever happens is, and the whole excitement of that day... That's going to be one of the hardest things after the pain of this season and the trips we've done, Old Trafford on a Monday night. (laughs) (laughs) Madness. To watch McTominay belt in a nonsense deflected effort. Um, You know, I know we didn't lose that day, but of all uh, Leicester away, possibly my lowest moment of the season. I remember. Yeah. (laughs) And and you just think that's what going to Wembley in a final makes it all worth it. Um, Thinking of this season, I, I do think, the worst mistake and the angriest I've ever felt at the club and the directors and anything that's gone on was the fact we didn't let Emery go after that Leicester game. Uh, I felt like I I remember walking from the King Power to the station without an umbrella and it was pouring down. It was raining so heavily, and we just got we didn't even have a chance really, and to get completely undone by a Brendan Rodgers team like that was was painful um ironically the last brendan Rodgers away performance i attended was the 5-1 at anfield um which was worse i'll admit but the fact we didn't let him go because i was looking at the table and the fact we need three points to be above wolves the fact we threw away points in that in Freddie's tenure and not giving it to Arteta. then was surely one of the biggest mistakes we've made and and, and could ever make us a club because we may not recover and as you said the fact is the season starts in six weeks normally with a full pre-season managers got a chance to implement ideas new philosophy philosophies bring in new faces we've got none of that we're going to be playing with probably the same very similar playing squad and that's just alarming isn't it i mean that is one of the scariest things about this time if there was ever a time to have your worst team it is not now. Um, no
0: um and I think the, the issue we're going to have particularly if you think of teams like Chelsea and Man City um the pandemic is not going to affect them in the slightest because financially they can cope with a uh, loss of revenue through ticket sales they can cope with any marketing thing that goes out the window but we can't we're not in a position to be able to cope with that sure if Stan Kroenke decided to invest a whole bunch of money then maybe we could but That doesn't appear to be forthcoming. And whilst whilst I've just mentioned Stan Kroenke, what I would like to comment on um, was when we played it. Was it at Wembley when the banner came out about uh, back Arteta and not Kroenke? I can't remember who that was against. It was at Villa. Yeah, yeah, of course it was. And what I wanted to say about that is as much as I'm not a big fan of Stan Kroenke and I don't like the way that he is running the club, for people to say that it's it's a lack of investment that is, is the problem is missing the point entirely for me because although, OK, everyone wants more investment, we've spent a lot of money in the last three or four seasons and we've spent it really, really poorly. And I think as, as much as you would like a, an owner who is a bit more invested in the club to only beat him with the stick that he doesn't invest money in the club... Um, OK, he's not investing his own money, perhaps, because we, we've been working on this self-sustainable model. But as a club, we are spending money, but we've spent it so poorly on the wrong areas.
1: You know, something I've wanted to discuss with, with you is thinking about the number of players we'd keep and how much money we could recoup from it. Because you're completely right. The the We have spent a lot of money. We spent, I know it's spread out over a number of years, or so they say, with Pepe, we spent £72 million on a player. Um, That is not a team not investing. If you look at the way we spent money, even last summer, there's huge question marks. I mean, it all goes back to buying a Bamiyang for me, who has been unbelievable. And it was sort of the opportunism of getting a Bamiyang. But we then laid out £90 million on two strikers when we play one striker, and have only played one striker since. You know, I know that was part of sort of the, the previous regime. And it's one of the frustrations. I I certainly don't defend much that the Cronkies do, but they are letting us spend the money we have. It's just being spent so badly and being invested so poorly. I mean, Tierney is the only value for money player I think we've got in the last, what, three, four seasons? Maybe Leno as well?
0: Yeah, I think I'd I'd make a case for Leno. And if we're looking at our youth investment, obviously, Martinelli. I think you have to say is, it's been a, a a a big success for what we paid for him, but in terms of uh, signing senior players, then yeah, I, I I can't really look past Kieran Tierney and Burnt Leno, mm. um, which is worrying. What I thought we'd do now is, obviously, this has been speculated and spoken about by all sorts of people, um, and everyone has their opinions, and it is an extensive list. But I wanted to sort of get your views on on the de- the potential departure list that we might have. And how much do you think we could potentially get for these players? So I've got a list of, I've written down down four or five at the moment. But as we said, this this could really, really escalate further. So first one I've got on the list is Socrates, who has not got a look in at all since the end of lockdown. Um, And I think you texted me on the weekend to say he must be looking at Rob Holding and the Arsenal defence at the moment. And thinking, well, (laughs) if I can't get in this team. So, what's your opinions on him then?
1: Well, I mean, firstly, judging by and, and how much you can read into the Watford game, I don't know, but I would start him on Saturday. Um, but that's neither—that's another debate. He has to go. I mean, if you think about, I was thinking about this. I completely forgot about Callum Chambers. That he will—he will probably start playing around Christmas time. Um, which will probably mean if there are any defensive reinforcements needed in January, he'll probably count towards that. But if you just think about the the centre half list, so holding uh, Chambers, Mustafi, Louise, Marie, Mavropanos on loan, um, and I don't know if can we count Kalasinac? We probably can't. So I we, hope not. <laughs> oh, and Saliba, of course, who needs yes. to be, of course, a hybrid of Maldini, Beckenbauer. Tony Adams every great defender of all time melded into one six foot three strapping French lad um have you not seen Twitter he is oh he is That's yeah, Twitter I, mean, show, I think so, I saw that... a YouTube compilation so he must be great <laughs> um yeah
0: and he, and he grows into quite a good player on FIFA as well So.
1: <laughs> okay so Socrates I don't know four million um I'd get rid of him as soon as I could I, and, and do you you know, what do you make of the fact he hasn't played a minute? I find it really, really bizarre
0: when you consider injuries we've had. I, f- I find it really bizarre. And it does make me think maybe there's something we don't know going on behind the scenes. Or maybe it is just as simple as that Arteta our, our just really doesn't fancy him. But I think in terms of what you said about how much you could get for him, I, I don't think you could get a lot more than what you said. And I think if he was at any other club, you could probably get some more. But because he's at Arsenal and because... Everyone knows how bad we are defensively. I think all of these players have been have had their reputations tarnished fairly significantly. So, I, I just as an example, obviously Dayan Lovren has just gone to Zenit Saint Petersburg for Liverpool for eleven million pounds. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I think he's terrible. <laughs> he is terrible. <laughs> so, the, the, this is the thing: we look at how Liverpool get rid of players. I said this to you before, but they managed to get twenty million pounds for Dominic Solanke. Now, I don't know. I don't know how that was a thing. Because every time I've seen him, I know he's scored on the weekend, but every time I've seen him, I've thought, what a dreadful footballer. Well, they've,
1: they've, they've, they've shipped off well, they shipped off Jordan Ibe to Bournemouth, wasn't that? about? That was in the tw- 20, maybe 30 million. I think it
0: was. That That's ridiculous. But um, he's another one who,
1: they are very good at getting ready
0: players at the right time, for the right price, and making sure they recoup as much as possible. OK, the second person on my list, uh, it would have been... Mustafi but he has now what appears to be a long-term injury which means that we are not going to be able to get rid of him so as far as I can tell we're going to be we're going to have Mustafi for the foreseeable future
1: I was going to say to you on Mustafi has there ever been a luckier man in the history of Arsenal Football Club every time he was out the team someone got injured and he'd get minutes and then there was no one to take his place and now, when he's likely to be sold, he gets injured for the first time in absolutely ages. With a long-term injury, it means he'll stay at the club. You couldn't make it up. We can never get rid of this man.
0: No, he, we can't. And what worries me is I because it, I I believe he's entering into is it the second he's gonna get an extension? Of, I think he might get an extension. <laughs> and it
1: honestly, he's he's never leaving. He's never ever ever leaving. He's not. He'll end up managing the club soon. I mean, he. But, um, yeah,
0: yeah. I feel like for a bit of balance, I I need to reiterate that I think since Arteta's come in, he has improved significantly. However, Mm. the the last half an hour against Tottenham Mm -hmm. is an example of why you cannot have him as your main centre-back, because you can't trust him.
1: No, but you can't trust any of them. And and bizarrely, I feel like I could trust Sokratis more. Um, Anyway. That's neither here nor there. You said it's not going to be Mustafi. Who, who's who's on the list?
0: Next one, and this is one we've spoken about, and I'm not sure how you feel about I've got Rob Holding written down.
1: Uh, do you know what? I actually, you can't really judge too much in one game, but his price went down on Sunday.
0: <laughs> He's he, got... he, he, lo- he, he lost the English premium.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. If if it were me, I'd loan him out because we need to see his true colours, which, which we haven't really. With a long-term injury, and, you know, as you well know, uh, I know all about ACLs. He's really probably not playing at the level he can. But we also don't know what his true level is. He started well, really well under Emery, but it really wasn't for very long. And I don't know if that level is the level we need or whether he can even reach there or whether he's got another level. So That's why I'd loan him out. But if I was selling him, English, young, we paid $2 million for him. And if I look at the rebuild job we need to do, the fact we've already got Marie, the fact we've already got Saliba, I don't think Arteta wants to play three centre-backs. I think he wants to play two. And that's what I'm banking on. So I'd take 20 million.
0: We we might struggle. And again, I I would put that down to what is, is probably the Arsenal curse, is that because he plays for Arsenal as a defender, he probably loses some of his value. But mm. I, I, I think realistically that's probably as good as we could expect
1: the thing i'd ask though is is if you were selling him and this is hard, you know we don't know other clubs we don't know anything it's pure speculation obviously where would who would buy him who would take a 20 million pound punt on rob holding
0: to me at the moment not for 20 million pounds but the sort of club i'm looking at and thinking he might go to is someone like crystal palace he seems like the sort of player that would probably do quite well there and i think For someone like him, he needs someone who helps him develop as a defender as opposed to anything else. And I'm not sure Arsenal is a place to do that. And and I think what we've seen, the fact that when we were playing uh, three centre-backs, Arteta was preferring to play David Luiz, Kalasinac and Mustafi, probably tells you what you need to know, that he doesn't really see Rob Holding as one of his preferred options. I think he's probably going to start on Saturday just because, although like you said, maybe Socrates would be a better option. He's not played a minute of first-team football since the end of lockdown. So I'd be surprised if Holding doesn't start. But that's again, that's that's another, another argument for another day. Next one we're going to look at is Mohamed El Nene, who is somewhat of a forgotten man. He's now lost his squad number to William Saliba, who uh, has taken his number four. And he's taken number 25, I believe. So what do you think?
1: I mean, how many years? Do you know how many years he's got left on his contract?
0: Um I th- It's probably two. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I guess it's probably around two.
1: We'd do well to get 10 million. I'd, I, think, I think I would be delighted with seven plus.
0: I agree. And he's not a player that we spent an awful lot of money on either. So I, I think anything we can get just to raise a little bit more more income for the transfer kitty, I think would be would be positive. Moving on to this is actually the last one I've got written down, but obviously there's so many more we could speak about. Matteo Guedesi.
1: <laughs> well, well, what did you? While I while I sort of think about that one, what did you make of the proposed? I've seen two ludicrous swaps. One was with Gwenduzi for party. And the other was Guendouzi for um, Vidal and Rakitic and Guendouzi plus, I think it was like 50 mil and Coutinho. Uh,
0: <laughs> I also saw those uh, three rumours. Um, I think uh, from what I read, it suggested the Guendouzi party switch was rejected. Um, now, I think if we could go after one, I think that's it, because I think party's the right sort of age the right sort of profile with what we're looking for. Now, the other ones, uh, me and you have both said that we'd be quite keen on Coutinho. Um, I I, I cannot believe the amount of Arsenal fans turning their noses up at that as a potential signing. He is infinitely better than anything we have at the moment in terms of an attacking sense. Um, And we need someone who can play in that middle role that Mesut Ozil usually occupies. Um, And we need someone who can play a little bit more dynamically. And... I think I think he would be a good fit. If it is a case of selling Guedetti plus fifty million for Coutinho, that seems absurd.
1: Yeah, if it was the other way, you snap someone's hand <laughs> off. And yeah, if
0: it, if it's the other way, I I will drive to. Oh, he's in Munich at the moment. Is I'll drive to Munich.
1: You drive to Munich. I'll drive to Barcelona. And wherever he is, one of us will find him,
0: and we'll bring him back to the Emirates. <laughs> Yeah. So And then looking at the last swap deal that was proposed, which was for Arturo Vidal and uh, Ivan Rakitic. I think as much as I like both those players and have liked both those players, I wouldn't say they are the the sort of age profile that we need at this moment. And I I think we need to avoid going down that route of just signing established players that may or may not be past it because for us it's too big a risk and the salaries they're going to command don't think we can justify, and I don't think we can afford. So
1: it's very tricky, though, isn't it? Because if you were to ask me, would you rather line up next season? Let's say we don't get Spires on loan. Would you rather line up next season with Xhaka next to, what uh, Willock, Torreira? Sorry, uh, Xhaka next to Torreira or Vidal next to Rakitic? Um, I think it's a no contest, isn't it? Even at this age, that's 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 the challenge, but. You asked me about what price you'd get for Matteo Guendouzi. I do think we've knocked a few million off of him by not playing him. Because I think we've shown he had attitude problems at PSG, at Lorient. And now, you know, he should be in this Arsenal squad. There's no two ways about it. If he'd have grasped the opportunity since lockdown, like Ceballos has, we'd be thinking 50, 60, 70 million. I think you would do really well to get 40 million for him. Because what's he really done? I mean, the bloke... I like him, but he's not done much, has he, really? And he cannot header. The man cannot header a football. He hates it. I don't know, it's the hair? It's probably the hair.
0: Probably. (laughs) He's got legs on him. We give him that. And he can keep the ball quite nicely. But I've not seen enough of him. I think he is very, very talented. And I think he's got the potential to be a really, really top player. But uh, we've not seen enough of it. And quite frankly, if you you were to offer me £40 bear in mind how little we paid for him. I think we paid about seven, eight million for him um when he came from Lorient. And I, I, I think that would represent a really, really smart bit of business because obviously he's not getting on with Arteta or what Arteta wants him to do. And I don't think that's going to be rectified. And unfortunately that's a battle he's not going to win.
1: He's not. He's not. So if I I'm gonna be I'm gonna say Socrates for four nenny, we're going to get six. I'm just doing this for ease of math. Holding will get 10 and Gwendouzi, 30. That's 50 million million we've Recouped.
0: And potentially we've, I, the figures I've seen bandied around have been potentially we might have 30 million on top of that. Which even that I'm not sure because uh, I'm a member of the Arsenal Supporters Trust and they have been issuing quite comprehensive um estimates of the Arsenal accounts and they're, they're, they're quite detailed and they all make realistic reading and the losses Arsenal are making it just seems odd after asking your squad to take a pay cut to then go okay well we can't pay you guys properly but we can go and spend this money on players so as much as we need to I'm not sure how much if any money is going to be available and I think it might be a case of trying to raise funds first. Mm. Okay, I'm going to pose another question to you now. So, you are only allowed to sell three players. Who are you going to let go and why?
1: Okay. So the first player I'll sell and clearly I'm I'm ruthless and have no room for sentiment is Emmy Martinez. Okay. The reason I'm selling him is uh, well, I think there's a debate to be had. If you got a £40 million bid for Bern Leno, I'd take that and run with Martinez. I think he's done more than enough to prove it. However, I don't think Martinez's value will ever be higher than it is now. So I think for a reserve keeper, we could recoup the best part of £20 million, which we'd have done well to get five, even two months ago. So I'm selling him because his value is the highest it will ever be. Sell, I'll get rid of Ozil just to stop the debate, but that's that's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> uh, look, what I'd love to do, I'd love to sell either David Louise or Mustafi. I would really like those, either of those men to not be in our club. <laughs> I really would. And I don't care what I get for them. I really don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't it's, it's That's the thing, isn't it? It's really hard. It's really hard. I mean, because on one hand, right, to answer three players, so so if I can... I'd get. I've got to get rid of Erzil. i I've just got to get him off the books. So he costs us eighteen million a year. He can go to Turkey for free, and even if we pay him twelve million that a year, and fine, we're saving six million. And we need to stop the topic around him. The other, the other one I'm selling because it's really hard, right? I'm torn. I'm between. I'm between two here. So I'm gonna. Am I assuming Gwendozi's off anyway, or am I, am I? Have I got a debate? It's up
0: to you.
1: Okay. So my my biggest challenge here is I think we could get £40 for Lacazette. And I think this is the most expensive he'll ever be for another club. We've got a ready-made goal scorer next to him in Bamiyang And you could either invest in a new striker or restructure the team. So Abamyang's down the middle. I know he doesn't fancy that, but, you know, the, the man is goals. And we need better balance in this team. And we need a proper creative hub from left wing. Um, but I'm, I'm probably going to sell Lucas Torreira because I think, I don't think he's going to work in England. He started like a house on fire. Um, I was actually looking <laughs> in, in some of the research I was doing before all of this. I was looking to see his girlfriend still lives in Genoa. And I think the man has not enjoyed London. He barely speaks English. He's a bit too, you know, I don't like to go on about this, but he's a bit too small to play in centre midfield in this league as much as I hate saying that it's just it's a fact as much as I hate being the person to say you need legs you need more physicality in the Premier League you do and I think you could get a good chunk selling back to Ivan who owes us to say the least he
0: definitely owes us he definitely (laughs) owes us
1: I think Torreira is a perfect player for Serie A or a good squad player but we need our we need a proper midfield so I want three great centre mids next season, and I'm, I'm counting that we've got Sabios in. Xhaka can stay there, so I'll sell Torreira for thirty million to Bald Ivan.
0: Good. I uh, I think my my three that I've selected are testament to how similar we think. They're, they're not too dissimilar. Um, I won't go over the Mesut Ozil one again because I, I, I'm completely with you. I don't think there's anything else that needs to be said about that. Um, so he was on my initial list, but I'm going to add someone else instead. Now, where you, I've I've got Guendouzi on this list because I think he is a player, probably in our squad, that we can potentially get the most money for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think he's one that uh, he's already out the door. And rather than Martinez, I actually said Leno one to sell and the reason for that and i think tim stillman wrote something on um Ask blog the other day which is very similar to this i believe that martinez has shown that he can perform at a very similar level to leno mm-hmm. i think what he's got in his favor is that he's been at Arsenal for so long i think he genuinely does love the club and i think he's i don't think he's looking to leave or anything like that um, and i'm not saying leno is but I think that got plays into Martinez's favor. I think distribution-wise Martinez is probably a little bit better than Leno. Yep. Um and I still think there's room for, there's scope for Martinez to get better whereas I don't necessarily think there is for Leno. I think Leno's probably performing at his highest level now. So but but I I think you could probably interchange both of them but I think because of the Arsenal connection that's why I may be leaning towards keeping Martinez as opposed to Leno. Um, but for a club like Arsenal, in the situation we're in, I don't think we can afford to have two goalkeepers of that calibre with one sitting on the bench. I just don't think financially it makes sense. So one of them, if I if I was in in charge of things, if I was in any situation, I would probably be looking to move one of them on. Mm-hmm. And because they are so close in ability from what I've seen of Martinez recently, um, I think you sort of float the idea that you'd be happy to lose either one of them, and then whoever is still there, that's your number one.
1: Yeah, I think the argument there is Leno probably gets you, possibly even ten million more.
0: Yeah, I yeah I, I'm with you on that, and I think Martinez is still is still inexperienced enough in the Premier League to to probably not, as you say, command the same fee that Leno would command. Um, my fear of len of either one of them going is it would not surprise me at all. If we were willing to let them go, if Chelsea come in because mm-hmm. they're looking for a goalkeeper, and I just don't want to help them out
1: in any way, shape, or form. You wouldn't do a Leno Williams swap.
0: We're, <laughs> we're considering little Williams are going to be out of contract in a, in a minute.
1: Yeah, don't, yeah, you just never know with us, do you though? Well, <laughs> no, it's we? not the
0: business we do. You would not be surprised at all.
1: Um, okay, all right. So you, you've you've also uh, you've been less ruthless than me. Uh, uh,
0: but I do think as well what where you said about Torreira and Lacazette, I would sell one of those. Okay. And I think I'm more inclined to sell Torreira because I just I think it's going to cost us more money to get a centre forward who yeah. can come in and score goals. Whereas I know Lacazette doesn't get as many as we would like, and he's not maybe the player that we need, but he will get more. He will score some goals mm. as he's proven um, quite recently. Um, whereas Torreira, I think we could command quite a good fee from Italy, and for for me, I I think you can get a centre midfielder for a lot cheaper because they're not they don't have that centre forward premium that that good goal scorers tend to have. Yeah. So he would be the one that I'd sacrifice, but our lists are very very similar.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I have to say when you look at it, you would trade off. I mean, quite a lot to by a couple of midfielders this season because for next season I should say because that is the problem area isn't it really I mean it's well documented we have no creativity I can't believe we've gone from the Arsenal that had Fabregas Fleb, Brzezinski Wilshire, Ramsey Ozil you know even ball carries like Sanchez Iwobi Mkhitaryan to just what we have now it's it's you know, we've got to get somewhere towards that. I think with Arteta as well, I think particularly with midfielders, I had a lot less of a problem with Arsenal when we didn't have a holding midfielder, got exposed by better teams, but absolutely creamed the rest of the league playing wonderful football. You'd you'd, you'd kill for that now.
0: Yeah, when, when it clicked as well, it clicked and it was fantastic to watch. And I just, I can't remember the last time when, Arsenal played a consistent game of football like when was the last time we played 90 minutes when we were just fantastic throughout
1: I've got one game for you go on no I'm torn I don't know whether Napoli away last season counts and did we play that well against Valencia the whole game we probably didn't did we I think I'm misremembering
0: no there were there were periods against Valencia where I thought we're going out here like, mm. We went one nil down and then we did respond, but you always felt like there was, a, up until we got the fourth goal, you, you always felt like there was an opportunity for them to get back in it.
1: Well, I think Man City is the closest in the semi we've got, for sure. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that if I, if I said to you, I only care about keeping one of the goalkeepers, not too fussed on which, Tierney, Aubameyang and Saka and, and, and Smithrow, I'm excited to see him. I would sell everyone else if I could.
0: I'm, I'm with you, and I think um, I suppose just just to summarise this 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 section of the uh, of the podcast, uh, what I would say is that I at the beginning of lockdown I, I was playing quite a lot of FIFA, and I remember I spoke to you about my career mode, mm-hmm. and the exact words I said to you was previously I used to just commit with the team that Arsenal had because I couldn't bring myself to sell any. And I have not had that problem with this year's edition. Um, I've moved on most of the Arsenal first team because I have no real affinity or connection with them that makes me think oh, I want to even play with them on a video game. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> I know, I know. So I mean, I think that
0: kind of is the state of things at the moment at Arsenal Football Club.
1: Yeah, no heroes. I feel very sorry for the younger generation growing up. We had the best generation ever to grow up with.
0: We 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 did. And I remember. Um, obviously we've spoken about it before and said, wouldn't it be great if we were like sort of 18, 19 when Arsenal were were in, invincible, or two thousand and two, or, uh, or ninety eight even. Um, but I do think it's nice that we had those experiences as kids because I don't know. I, I look back on them um, with such fondness, and I think part of that is because it's when you were a kid as well. Mm. But yeah, I we grew up in such a spoiled time. Um, and I, it, it's tough seeing Arsenal in the situation they're in at the moment because it's such a long way from where we were. Yeah,
1: we had heroes. I, I mean, the thing is, though, if you're a kid now, I don't know how you get anyone but a Bamiyang's name on the back of your shirt. You just wouldn't. He's the only one now, isn't he? But, yeah. But, you know, expensive name to have the back of your shirt as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did uh, buy the new home shirt uh, when it got released last week. And I opted for number three Tierney on the back.
1: <laughs> you keep up a good tradition. I mean, look, if you, to be fair, if there's, if there's someone you think might symbolise the next few years, it probably is him from what we've seen.
0: Yeah, but just just to re-emphasise, I am a 30-year-old man <laughs> who has just bought uh, a replica football shirt with number three Tierney on the back. I feel like yeah. that needs to be emphasised. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm hoping you don't wear that too many times in front of away fans. With you, I, you know? I, I'm
0: going to wear it at every away game next year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay,
0: so I think that's that's a pretty good point to end this part of the podcast, and we'll be back in a second to discuss uh, the second part of the podcast. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to the Boys in Red and White podcast. Um, I'm still joined by Mr. Andre Grayson, and we're going to look at part two of the podcast, which is where we look at a specific shirt from the last 30 years um, and then we have a conversation about which goals we think of. Now, this is a game that me and Andre have played probably on and off for the last six or seven years when we've been at the Emirates, where one of us will just pick a shirt that we see someone in a crowd wearing and say what goal do you think of and for some reason it's it's almost part of our pre-match ritual now um, to the point that during lockdown i felt i needed to find something to replace going to the football so what i started was a blog uh, which can be found at the boys red and and that blog focuses on one shirt every single day um and then I'll just talk about what memories I have of that shirt or even personal memories. So it's almost got a fever pitch vibe to it. Um, but today we're going to look at the 96 to 98 home shirt. Um, probably one of my favourite shirts out of the entire collection that I have. But we've picked out three gold each that we're going to talk about. I'm going to say my three first and then Andre is going to give us his three. So the first one that I think of is Dennis Bergkamp versus Tottenham. In 1996. No, it would
1: have been 97, wouldn't
0: it? Yeah, 97. But Dennis Bergkamp uh, made it 3-1, so it clinched the game in the North London derby, and it was Arsene Wenger's first North London derby as well. So the reason why I love this goal is purely for the first touch of Dennis Bergkamp, and it sums up everything about that man, um, his first touch, because he is able to... (laughs) produce a first touch that is so good that it basically scores the goal for him. He puts himself in a position where he just goes past the defender with one touch, Um, which I, 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 it doesn't matter how many times I would attempt that touch, it would never, ever, ever be as perfect as Dennis Bergkamp's touch. And there are so many players in the professional game who I would say the exact same thing about because... He just had this way of controlling a football better than anyone else I've ever seen. His touch is not a fluke. It is something that he's done on so many occasions that nothing surprised you about Dennis Bergkamp. If he did something, you were instantly convinced that he meant it. And this is why I find it so baffling, the amount of people that said that his goal at Newcastle was a fluke. Okay, well, how many other times has he scored goals of equal magnificence and it hasn't been a fluke? I think that's that's testament to Dennis Bergkamp. Um, the other thing I love about that goal is the fact that Ian Wright has an opportunity to take the ball in the corner and see the game out, but decides to uh, drive, uh, I think it's Clive Wilson that he goes past on the on the far side and whips the cross in, and he literally has Dennis Bergkamp to cross the ball to and that's it, and he's confident enough just to put it in the box and know, uh, you know what, Dennis will do the rest, and my goodness, did Dennis Bergkamp do the rest. So my first goal that I think of is certainly Dennis Bergkamp at home to Tottenham in the 96-97 campaign. Uh, Andre, would you like to give me your first?
1: Yes, and uh, I'm pleased I didn't I didn't have that one. Um, mine is quite simply David Platt with the header. <laughs> I can picture Winterburn crossing that in. That was my first, uh, one of my first experiences of Highbury as well. So. I mean, you could pick any goal from that game as well. Um, Anelka's bang is is a wonderful finish. And what a what a player he was that season. Vieira's goal is unbelievable. Um, but no, Platt's header to win it. Um, and I think, you know, I was seven at the time. I don't quite think I realised then what it quite signified or just how good a header it was. Um, I mean, that, that goal goes down in folklore. It was absolutely showed we could do it, it was so important in that campaign and it's just one of those moments that you can watch back and the memories of the rivalry come flooding back um, you know, it was just it was just such a good header, it, it was that moment, that elation, I can still feel it now, to go 3-2 up especially after being pegged back by Teddy Sheringham of all people um, that for me is the first goal that always always comes back
0: yeah, it was a incredible moment and also one of my favourites because uh, the header can be heard on the microphones on TV.
1: <laughs> it's a thumping, it, it is, a is a thumping header.
0: I mean, it comes in from Nigel Winterburn, and it just, and <laughs> it's sensational. Does it go um, over
1: Gary Neville on the line? It
0: does. And that's what, that's what I love about it as well, because Manchester United have a player on the line. They're doing what you need to do defensively, mm. but he's that it doesn't matter that Gary Level has jumped at full length. and He is a small man. He is a small man. If you put um, Nikola Zigic on the far post, he'll probably keep it out.
1: <laughs> That's your go to tall player, Nikola Zigic. Right.
0: I'm pretty sure he's six for eight. So yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Okay. You go. What's your goal two?
0: Goal two, another. Fairly obvious one and it doesn't need much introduction uh, is Tony Adams on the final day to make it 4-0 and clinch the title against Everton 97-98. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's a goal that summarises one man as much as that goal um, because his celebration, obviously, which is iconically been put to a statue outside the Emirates, is... A celebration of not only Arsenal's success, but also for me of that man. Because as much as Tony Adams is ridiculed um, for some of his coaching or, or from his managerial stints, I just think he's an absolutely incredible person um, to have fought back from where he was with his alcohol addiction. And he now uses that for such good to spread sort of the, the word um, in terms of addiction within sport. And for me, every time I see him on something or listen to him on the radio, I just want to listen. I don't I don't I'm not interested in anything else that's going on. I just want to hear what he has to say. And I absolutely love the fact that whenever he talks about Arsenal, he always refers to us as the Arsenal. And he's a he's a proper Arsenal man. He is Mr Arsenal. Not necessarily the second, but it's one of the most significant goals that I think of when I see the ninety six, ninety eight home shirt.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was on my list. I meant to ask you, was Platt on your list? Uh, it was. It was, OK. So and I,
0: I, I've substituted it. I've put a rogue one in for my third, but I'll li- I'll listen to your second And By the way, if my third one is on your list, I'll be absolutely astounded.
1: <laughs> OK, OK. Well, is your Gilles Grimondi against Palace very important goal?
0: <laughs> no, it's not. It was. What a great 1-0 win. Also, the only goal we ever scored for Arsenal, wasn't it?
1: I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. We'll need to what a lovely goal, though. <laughs> okay, so mine is, and again, I think mine are shaped a little bit by ones I was at because there, there yeah. wasn't. I didn't go to as many games uh, at Highbury as, as I would have hoped. So before mine,
0: before you say, can I try and guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Vieira against Newcastle?
1: It is Vieira against Newcastle. <laughs> I talk about this goal so often. I think it's because I could not believe someone could kick the ball that far. <laughs> and every time you see that goal, it was unbelievable. But I think the reason I think about that goal more than anything, Vieira scored probably two unbelievable long-range goals in his career. There was that one uh, against Newcastle, and the other against Newcastle. I think in 0-4-0-5. Uh, 0-4, um, 0-4, what a goal that was! But no, this this that goal um, just symbolised what a man. Um, and it's just when I think of him. Obviously, I think of him going around the goalkeeper against Leicester. But that strike for me, I think it made me realise I wanted to be a midfielder because you could do it all. Um, but the man was just unbelievable. And that goal, if you know when you see it again, it's 35 yards. When you're, when you're seven and I was in the West Upper and you watch that fly in, it changed something in me that day <laughs> because I'd never seen a goal like it. And um, also my first ever game with the Emirates, we lost... Emirates of Highbury, we lost one nil to Newcastle, uh, a robbery goal, uh, I believe. Uh, so it was some sort of redemption as well. So I've always loved that.
0: Yeah, obviously the fact I guess is uh, testament to the fact that we've had, we've had many a conversation, <laughs> and that goal has come up. But yeah, yeah. absolutely cracking strike by Patrick and a absolute thunderbolt
1: yeah
0: okay my third and final choice and this is the one that I've gone I've gone for a rogue one because this is for its significance as well so it came in the 97 98 season obviously Arsenal were chasing the title Mm -hmm. and the goal I've chosen is Christopher Ray away at Bolton
1: (laughs) of course it is Tom
0: of course it is (laughs) And the reason I've chosen it is, one, I've always had this thing with my brother who, if you ever ask him for his list of like top five players, he'll put Christopher Ray in there because he's just a cult hero for him. And I'm not really sure why, but he is. <laughs> and this goal was a fantastic goal because he's just hit it and smashed it into the top corner. But it was so crucial in the running. Um, I remember he also scored a winner against Wimbledon, Mm -hmm. um, which there were two goals that really contributed to Arsenal winning the league that year. Um, But that goal, I just, every now and again, I love seeing a goal where it's just someone's put their foot through it. They've not really focused on anything else other than power. Um, And I think this is slightly different than the Vieira strike that you spoke about, because the Vieira one, although it's power, there's also like a technique and this precision and he's tr- obviously trying to just hit it towards the top corner. Whereas I think for the Ray one at Bolton, he's just put his foot through it and it's rifled into the top corner and set Arsenal along the, along the track um, to, win the, to win the double. And what I think, I think he's a very underrated player in Arsenal's history, not because of his ability, but people forget he played a lot that season, particularly towards the end where he tended, when Bergkamp was injured, And Ian Wright was coming back from injury as well. He was the option with Nicholas and Elka. And he was often the one who was asked to do the dirty work, so to speak, to put in the miles to to Harry defenders. And I think he did that quite well for for a a certain period. Obviously, he was never going to be an Arsenal legend, so to speak, but he's a double winner. So there's that.
1: (laughs) I love that. That's a great shout. Well, I've, I've actually, in my extended list, here's um, some goals we've missed out on um, before I tell you mine. So, Overmars or Elka in the FA Cup final against Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, all three of Burkamp's goals against Leicester at Filbert Street in that infamous three-all, which, uh, which are the ones I had written down. But the one I've got is Ian Wright against Bolton to break the record. What a moment.
0: Is, it, is this when he actually broke it or when he thought he broke it and produced a shirt I'm getting time? two
1: for one here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, you know, we were probably a bit too young to fully appreciate. You sort of have gone back in time and had to look how unbelievable Ian Wright was. But the iconic number eight, the Just Do It t-shirt, the 179. I mean, it's just, it's, it's magical. It's magical, and and that moment, the pure elation when you see that goal, and how mad he's gone, and then you look back at his career, and now the man he is now, and everything he stands for now, you know, he's just what a man He's Possibly, he he well, he is, I think he's my favourite person in the Arsenal media circles at the minute.
0: I think he's fantastic, and what what I think really um, sets him apart is that he is unashamedly biased towards Arsenal. Yes. And I think it's the it's the pundits who pretend that they're not biased at the worst. You look at someone like Jermaine Genus who is so one eyed towards Tottenham, but just won't admit it. Whereas Ian Wright knows he wants Arsenal to win. He doesn't care if anyone else knows that. He desperately wants Arsenal to win. And that's what that's what I love about him. It's just the brutal honesty that he brings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But also he, he's just a great man, and it's almost like going back in time. I was just thinking, ironically, think about the shirt. I'm picturing it him <laughs> wearing it round his head. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a question for you, actually, on these kits. Um, yeah. That I know, if, obviously, people could read the blog. Did you own this as a child? This shirt?
0: No, I didn't own it as a child. Actually. <laughs> no, I, I didn't, I didn't purchase this shirt. I didn't purchase it until I was about fifteen, and I got, I got a. Um, shirt off ebay for it uh with it so it's a plain shirt i still wear it remarkably regularly and it is probably my go-to shirt whenever i go to football and i can't think which one i want to wear i I will always wear that one nice Um, so yeah i love it i absolutely love it easily in my top five uh, in terms of shirts did you own it
1: yes i did i did i had um well what can you say about this player i you know could have been something really special but you know, he's lost all his knees. Uh, I had Andre seven on the back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I really wasn't expecting that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I've still got it. I've still got it.
0: Excellent. I was I was expecting like Chris Kormier or something. <laughs> no,
1: nope. Andre seven. Um, and I had Andre eight on the back of the away kit that year as well. Well, I think of it as ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, yeah what a great kit for me it's you know it's 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 the gunners at the bottom i love it it's just it's such a great shirt but that that,
0: that was for a few years we had gunners at the bottom and it and it just it looks so classy on all the kits that it's on um so yeah really really lovely um right so i think that about wraps it up for for today on uh, the boys in red and white podcast uh mr andre grayson thank you very much for your time today
1: pleasure mr dow it's been an absolute pleasure loved it thank you and
0: we will be back again next week with another uh podcast and hopefully celebrating our 14th fa cup victory
1: yeah i already don't want to do the podcast if we lose